hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice of the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And Corwin Heller is under the weather, which means, um, well, yeah, honestly, probably nothing will change. So, <laughs> thanks for being here, Corwin. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we're uh, proud to see you soldier on, because in America, the only... Uh, just thing is to work when you are sick uh let's just do a podcast based off of the um just how awful the u.s just works everything is yeah yeah uh well we kind of are because we're going to be starting out today uh talking about the yankees and not in a positive fashion because as of this morning i believe um, which this morning was uh, August 8th, so you're listening to this on August 9th. Uh, the Yankees had yet another player recently acquired Anthony Rizzo land on the COVID IL after contracting COVID. And you might be saying, well, why does that warrant an entire discussion? And that's because he's like the, um, let me see here. Uh, is it even worth counting? There's so many players. Uh, he's one of the many players who have landed on the COVID IL for the Yankees just since the All-Star break. Sin- since the All-Star break, players that have landed on the COVID IL include uh, Aaron Judge, who I believe Gleyber Torres. He had two different stints on it, but I forget if they were both pre-All-Star game or one was post-All-Star game. So, but anyway, Gleyber Torres, Kyle Higashioka. Um, let's see, who else? Uh Shit, my, I'm, all right, here's the current list of players that are on the, there as well. Gary Sanchez, um, Anthony Rizzo, Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery uh, have all ended up on the COVID IL just since the All-Star break. And that's quite a lot of players to have found their way on that list for one of the first teams to hit the 85% vaccination threshold. And kind of just in general. And I think that warrants a discussion for one baseball consequence reasons, which is the mm-hmm. more pressing for a Yankees season uh, aspect, but less interesting in the societal aspect. And then the societal aspect of it, which is why mm-hmm. is this happening to a team that is supposedly highly vaccinated? So I think let's start with the more interesting point which is why is this happening to a team that is mostly vaccinated? Obviously the Anthony Rizzo one, I think is the least surprising one. He's not vaccinated. He's, he's anti-vaccine, which um, makes him an idiot person. First of all, um, big old idiot person. And I, but you understand when that guy gets vaccinated, but there's 80, 85% of the Yankees are supposedly vaccinated, but it raises the question of, is this an inordinate amount of breakthrough cases, which do happen, but I mean, this many seems like a lot, or are all of the unvaccinated players on the team finding their way onto the IL because of this for one reason or another? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I tend to think it's probably that. Ooh. <laughs> Never mind. Words are hard. Words are hard. Oh. So, 
not having a lot of wealthy people choose to be so ignorant, I think also has a certain sting to it. And people that have the voice to reach a lot of people also choosing not to do the right thing also stings in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's usually easy to not have to confront that these people do shitty things like this. Like if a Kardashian was an anti-vaxxer, I'm not sure it would really come up in a lot of instances and you would not need to confront that daily unless you fully immersed yourself in the day-to-day life of a Kardashian person, which I'm not saying people don't do, but it's not as normal as following your favorite baseball team, which is a daily activity and having to confront the fact that there are people making very bad societally bad choices uh, daily. And then they're having repercussions for your quality of baseball life and literally affecting you, like your quality of life, you know, Anthony Rizzo not being vaccinated directly or indirectly affects the lives of many people. Um, and, you know, we've talked about it on the show a bunch, but it, it is one of the unfortunate ways in which sports must remind you that you're living in the world. Um, it is an unfortunate fourth wall breaking between regular everyday society and your escape from it. Right. I mean, we've talked about this before, where if you are just an employee of a company that, you know, you're an accountant, you're a logistics person, you're a warehouse worker and you're not vaccinated, that really affects you and your coworkers and the people around you in your life. If you're Anthony Rizzo, that's not just affecting you, your teammates, the players on your opposing team, your family. Those are all a lot of people that you need to be worried about in this situation. And I'm not trying to discount any of those people, but you also have Every fan who watches you and looks up to you and has a poster of you on their wall has your jersey hanging in their closet and has your name, you know, on Google alerts or Twitter alerts, you know, notifying you whenever, you know, something happens, you know, you get called up or you get sent to the IL or, you know, you get a hit, something like that. So many people look towards you. So many people look to you for both inspiration and leadership and in cases where Anthony Rizzo, by all means, is a good person outside of this situation, is a great ball player, has shown to be you know the kind of guy who can be the face of a franchise, who can do anything he wants for the Cubs because of how much you know he's earned the right to do as he pleases in his own choices. But he needs to understand the kind of pull and the kind of sway and the impact he has on the people who watch him. And that's why this is such a big deal, not just a personal choice. And we've talked about this multiple times before. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's especially impactful that it's, you know, obviously the, it's the Yankees. There's a very broad reach there, but it's a team that plays in the Bronx. 
and the Bronx is still to this day a, a very black and Hispanic area. And those populations still have a lot of vaccine hesitancy and are not getting vaccinated at the same rate as their white counterparts. And that's going to be a problem for those communities because of community spread. And while it might be like a small thing that it's like the local team wants you to get vaccinated, but it's like that's exactly who is very likely to be paying a lot of attention to what that team does. And while will it like change the world if Anthony Rizzo publicly says vaccines are good, I'm going to go get vaccinated after I think it's uh, three weeks or three months or some some period of time between when you finish the course of handling coronavirus and then when you're eligible to become vaccinated after that. Um, and he, you know, reaches that point and he goes, all right, I, I was wrong. I'm going to get vaccinated. It, it's not going to change the world, but you know, there might be people who are local in the Bronx where Anthony Rizzo can go like do a local vaccination effort in that area and get people vaccinated that might otherwise not have, because that's kind of the kind of power that a he is a celebrity, but he's also in a lot of ways, a local celebrity, you know, there's going to be a high incidence of people who recognize him down walking down the street in on fucking Pelham Parkway more so than might recognize him walking down the street of some random town in, in the middle in Oklahoma, you know, like obviously I'm making the generalization, but I'm willing to bet I'm willing to bet willing to bet Anthony Rizzo gets picked out of a lineup a lot more frequently going down Pelham Parkway or Bronx Park East than he does going down whatever streets there are in Tulsa, Oklahoma or whatever, Oklahoma. I don't, uh, Tulsa was, yeah, that's the only town I can think of in Oklahoma. It's, it's shit. It, it's really shit. And it, it, it's shit because I think we all know people in our lives that are vaccine hesitant and we hate them. Uh, and if not them as people, we hate that they are experiencing vaccine hesitancy and want to shake the stupid out of them for that reason. And it's tough to look at Anthony Rizzo and not be like, oh, I'm now associating you with a person I have a problem with. You know, um, that is not the thing you want to do to a guy that you actively have to root for most days. That's shitty. And again, it's, 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 and it's, and it's just the wrong thing to do. Like it's, it's just, it's just the wrong thing for him to be doing. So God damn it, dude, go fuck yourself. I agree. And same thing goes for judge and same thing goes for Gio Rochelle, like at, at several points and also concurrently with, with this moment, the Yankees lost their starting third baseman to COVID Gio Rochella, their starting right fielder in Aaron judge, their ACE starting pitcher, in Garrett Cole, their number three starter, number two starter, Jordan Montgomery, their backup catcher in Kyle Higashioka, their starting catcher in Gary Sanchez, their starting first baseman in um, fucking Anthony Rizzo. Am I forgetting anybody? I, I mean, these are all these are all starting players who consume a significant amount of innings for you, plus your backup catcher. Like, it's not no one. It's a lot of people. Uh, you're starting shortstop in in, in uh, Gleyber Torres. I think that's it. It's it, it it's significant. Like if Tyler Wade got COVID from a cold-hearted baseball standpoint, it, it wouldn't Good. wouldn't be the, well. It wouldn't be the worst. You, 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 your team would be like ah, lost a bench player, bringing up another guy. Um, 
but in a again in a cold baseball sense, it's like no, your starting right fielder is one of the best right fielders of baseball. Like you need that guy day to day. Garrett Cole is one of the few pitchers who's been playing pitching well for you rather relatively consistently. You need that guy. Um, so it it really also muddies the water. Obviously, the Yankees had a very successful homestand, going uh, seven and two in their last two series against the. O's and the Mariners. So you take, no, not seven and two, five, five and two. Yeah. It was a seven, two overall home stand. I kind of forget if we're being honest here. I don't remember Matthew's what happened hard. against Tampa. I just, I just didn't feel like looking at the schedule. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really could just go to MLB.com slash Yankees and look at a schedule and I'm not going to do it because I decided that I, I didn't care and I'm, I'm sticking to my guns on that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they come off a successful homestand that's very nice. You know, it, it it's tough to look at what's happening to the Yankees right now and saying that they're standing up to adversity by winning these games. Because when it, this happened in 2019, 2018, when the Yankees faced a rash of injuries, and now we're all just Chapman's down for non-COVID reasons, like, you know, this other stuff happening. Um you know, when they went down for injuries a few years ago and they had this next man up mentality, part of it was like, we're overcoming some adversity here. You know, we're, we're, injuries happen to every team. It seems like they're, they're happening, especially hard to us right now. So we are, we're, we're, we're getting through it. And it's tough to say that when there is a conscious decision being made by seemingly a significant percentage of the team, which again is weird since it's supposed to be over 85% for this organization. Um, and that specific choice that they are choosing to make is what's leading to them having extended IL stints. Just so we're clear, what groups are included in that 85%? Players and coaches, if I recall correctly. Thank you. Also, like, how do you... How are you in the same division as Eduardo Rodriguez and you saw what happened to him last year where he had to sit out the whole year because he developed a fucking heart condition from having COVID and you still say, what's in that shit? I don't know. Like Aaron Judge is willing to go to the orthodontist to get the gap in his teeth filled up by a science man, but won't trust a different science man to make sure he doesn't get sick. I'll trust the superficial science, yeah. the gap tooth motherfucker ass science, but I won't trust the not making sure millions of more people don't die science. No, no, no. That science I'm skeptical of. Mass media, man. Fucking awful. Stupid as shit. We're just waiting for, uh, you know, it all to play out. Personal decision. Fuck yourself in the ass. Personal ass decision. You know who has to ask their doctor to make sure the, the vaccine is safe for them? Like cancer patients that are currently doing chemo to make sure that the uh, influx of uh, uh, or the intaking of a, of a vaccine doesn't like fuck their absolutely depleted immune system from having to go through radiation treatment. Not a healthy ass 28 year old guy who is a right. peak fucking athlete. That's not you, dumbass. It's the people running around with lupus that are trying to make sure they don't die from side effects because they can be very hard on a compromised immune system. 
not a guy that plays right field in a fucking in in one of the you know grimiest cities which i love grimiest cities in the country like fuck out of here no one wants to fucking hear it from you bitch it drives me fucking insane i fully agree uh, and i guess just to bring this into this to the less interesting conversation of a, a part about this which is the baseball conversation part about this the yankees yeah. had a successful homestand for once yeah, um, they've been playing really good ball post All-Star break, which, again, we'll see how it holds up. The pitching side of things is doing a great job, which the hitting side of things is not holding up their bargain. But we've seen this play out before, and you ride it out as long as you can until you get some of your some of your bigger bats back. You know, having Gary back would be huge. Having Rizzo back would be huge. So you try to wait it out with some good pitching, which, hey, that's fucked too, because uh, Cole's gone, Montgomery's gone, but... As it stands right now, the Yankees, who were uh, nine and a half games back from the division at their worst, I believe that was the peak, are currently only five and a half games back of the division. And that's only two and a half games back of Boston, who lost the division lead for now to the Tampa Bay Rays after being swept by them in this most recent weekend series. Uh, So now Tampa sits on top of the division. At 67-44, Boston second, 65-48. The Yankees at 61-49, only one game back in the loss column. Then the Blue Jays at 59 and 52 games back in the loss column from Boston, seven games back from the division. Uh, Corwin, how do you feel about this AL East really on its head from the last time we talked about it? Uh, Do the Orioles have a chance? Mathematically, I guess technically, but at 38 and 71, I, I, I think that window is a closing. Yeah, pretty quick. Um, I think a lot of this is going to come down to both how well, you know, the Toronto pitching staff is able to kind of be for the rest of the season with, you know, how they were reinforced at the trade deadline, how well Chris Sale pitches now that he's essentially back from injury and how well this Yankees team can rebound from both all of this COVID injury and really just how poorly they've been playing in the first half, first two thirds of the season. I think it's still fairly wide open. and I don't want to say that the Blue Jays are going to be the ones to finish a top uh, or sorry, not the Blue Jays, the, the Rays, <coughs> my brain is hard. It's bad. My brain, my brain is, is hard. hard. <laughs> my brain is hard. Blame the fever. This is not just normal Corwin being dumb. It's a little bit of normal Corwin being done, but there's more than that. Um, man, the more I think about it, the more I think the Razor just kind of run away with it, and the rest of these teams probably should just not be allowed in the playoffs. I wouldn't say the rest of these teams. No, nah, I'm also saying that as a Yankees fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's take a look at the last 30 days out of curiosity. So, uh, it's August 8th. So, let's go back to July. Oh, no, that's the All Star break. I guess the July 15th, I think, was the first game post All Star break. Uh, let's take that bitch up to today. Um, just to see where we're at. 
But yeah, uh, you know, the Rays, we talked pre-trade deadline that the Rays were, you know, doing a hell of a good job with their pitching and their hitting mm-hmm. clearly needed some help. And I was not confident that they'd be able to ride their pitching throughout the entire length of the regular season, just because that's a lot of work to do with your pitching. And they went out and acquired some bats at the trade deadline, most notably Nelson mm-hmm. Cruz, who has been very good for them because he will never age. And that's what we love about him. Um, and the thing that we said about the Red Sox was that the top of their lineup was phenomenal and it got bad pretty quick and their pitching was bad. And the Red Sox did nothing. They, they traded for uh, Kyle Schwarber. Boom. Game changer. They won the World Series. Yeah, that's hardly the pitching anybody was looking for. And that's kind of been the story of how the post all-star break teams have shaken out. The Rays have, I think, rounded themselves around a lot better. And the Red Sox have been getting mauled. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's ugly in a fascinating way because I don't know what the Red Sox, I guess the Red Sox are doing what the Yankees did like a couple years ago where it was like, well, we'll get Luis Severino back and it's like a trade deadline acquisition and it'll all be groovy and funky and, 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 and tight. And uh, shockingly enough, it has not been who to thunk it. Excuse me. Um, so let's see. Ooh, interesting. So the best. WRC plus since July 15th and since the all-star break. Any guess? No. Cincinnati Reds. No shit. Team WRC plus at 125. That's pretty fucking good. Wildly impressive. Yeah. I mean, they got some really good players. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super fun to see. They've been mashing. Um, Numbers two and three. Two is Toronto, and three is Tampa Bay at 122 and 119. They have been mashing. The uh, the Blue Jays, not surprising, but the Rays, this is exactly what we said they needed. They needed to hit. They, they Their pitching has been fine. They needed to hit, and they are fucking hitting. They're the third best hitting team since the All-Star break. And you might ask yourself, guys, you said Boston was a good hitting team. Where's Boston at? Boston is 21st in ball since the all-star break with a team WRC plus of 93. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, to finish out this division, the Yankees are 17th with a 101 WRC plus Baltimore is 19th with a 98 WRC plus. So Boston is the worst hitting team in the AL East since the all-star break. And that is not a recipe for success for getting into the fucking playoffs. Is uh isn't that kind of what happens when all of your hitting is, you know, three guys and all of them kind of go cold? Yeah. Uh how that works. Right? Now, if we look at it from the pitching side, uh XFIP, I think, is probably the best of the stats I have in front of me that I in my split leaderboard I created so I'm that's what I'm going to use for no reason then again it's the best one I have Um, and Boston is actually in the top 10 for XFIP in the last uh, month-ish of of, of ball and XFIP of 4.07 but they're not hitting now 
And that's clearly going to prove to be a problem for them. Uh, they have, as a team, okay, my computer is just freaked out and now I don't see my leaderboards anymore. I'm not going to blame fan graphs. I'm going to blame my shitty laptop. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that they've fallen off a cliff offensively when that is how your bread is buttered as uh, a, a your team is constructed then you're gonna you're gonna get fucked you're gonna get fucked pretty hard uh yeah how many uh how many runs has boston scored since the all-star break let's see uh seven nope Uh, 79 79 runs that doesn't seem like a lot of games or like that doesn't seem like a that doesn't (laughs) seem like a lot of uh a lot of runs. How, how many games second, total? It's the second fewest runs in baseball since then. Jesus. How many games have they played since the All-Star break? Sorry. Uh, I don't so know if you mentioned it. I didn't. Fangraphs shows the cumulative number of games that the players have played. So it says 221 instead of the actual number of games Boston's played since the All-Star break. That's so really I don't know. And I, yeah, it is dumb. I'm not going to I'm not I'm not I'm not going to find out. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's very bad. That's the second fewest in ball. The only team worse than that is the Texas Rangers. Corbin Heller, would you like to guess what the Texas Rangers as a team have batted since the All-Star break? Uh, One WRC plus. Um, 87. 47. No fucking way. Yeah. How? The second worst team is the Kansas City Royals, and they're still almost twice as good at batting right now as the Rangers are. The Royals batting to a WRC plus of 83. That's a solid 36 additional points. That is, oh boy. Who's, yeah. who's the best player on the Rangers right now then? Adolis Garcia, probably. Like, what's, what's his stat line right now? Or if you can find out what he's been since the break. Oh, since the break. Okay. That's uh, find me more information. That's all I ask. If I was a faster man, <laughs> uh, I think I can do it. You'll have to I mean, vamp for me, but British I think I can do it. Fast. Huh? Uh, you're asking this guy right now, this, this noise that I'm producing that does not sound like my voice to just vamp for you while you look up information. Oh, actually, I think I might be able to get it a lot faster than I thought I did. Oh, thank Christ, because I cannot keep talking. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, I'm it just here to cause Joshua. you. I'm just here to cause you pain. Buddy. I mean, isn't that why we get together to talk three times a week? Oh wow, we should. Yeah, we should really cut it back, shouldn't we? We should. We should cut it down to like point six seven. All right, so the Rangers. Player stats. Okay, since the All Star break. Wait. Ah, damn it! My custom date range went away because I changed the thing. You, motherfucker! How dare you? I feel like a motherfucker. Thank you. My my people <laughs> take that as a compliment. All right, all right. Oh boy, that's that does not look great. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. Dude, the guy who's been the best hitter. Okay, it's only been three, only three games. Okay, that makes me feel a lot better. The guy who's the best hitter by WRC plus on the Rangers is a man I have never heard of before. <laughs> Corbin Heller. 
Do yes. you know the name? Yanni Hernandez. No, I do not. Well, Yanni Hernandez knows you. Um, he no, has he a 135 not. WRC plus, but again, only three games. So I guess if we were to put in uh plate appearances limit, which I'm not going to do because I don't feel like adjusting everything again, our best hitter would be another guy I don't know <laughs> named Andy Ibanez. Uh, I don't know. It's either Ibanez or Ibanez. I'm not really sure. There's no tilde, and I don't know if Fangraphs has them. But uh, that's <laughs> those are the only two guys since the All Star break above a 100 W above a 70 WRC plus. <laughs> the drop off from Andy Ibanez to Nate Lau is half. Half. Andy Ibanez. I'm assuming that's how you say it. Again, I don't see a tilde, but I'm adding one for my own sanity. Is batting to a 125 WRC plus. The next best hitter, the number, the third best hitter on the team by WRC plus, and second best if we were to put in a plate appearances limit, is Nate Lau, batting to a 66 WRC plus. I. I have no words. Adolis Garcia, who was an all-star since the break. Still is. Has been batting to a 41 WRC plus. What's his stat? Flash led. 164, 218, 301. Jesus, Lord. That is an OPS of 519. Woof. That is outrageous, and I'm here for it. Yeah, that is. So some guy named Terry Curtis. I don't, or sorry, Curtis Terry. Fuck you for having two first names, Curtis. <laughs> Who is their DH? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. no, 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 um, no he has been no, in 11 no, games no. and has 41 plate appearances. So if we were to set a plate appearances limit, he'd probably meet it. Has a negative eight WRC plus. I just no. He is their DH. Oh, his slash line. God. His slash line is 105, 171, 158. In eleven <laughs> games, he has been worth negative zero point five WAR as a DH. No. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so bad. Oh, Terry. <laughs> oh Terry, no. God. Oh, Terry. He's a all right, he's like a 24-year-old rookie. So I'm sure he'll get better. But oh my god, Terry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no I'm one not. deserves this pain. I'm not. Oh, Terry. He's, he's his own player. Wow. All right. That was a huge tangent. <laughs> so let's get back to the, I guess the ALE standings for a bit. So if the, I think the Yankees tough part is that, and obviously again, all the caveats being that they did this to themselves and we should not feel any sympathy towards them for that. Um, I, they're my favorite team in all of sports and I don't feel any sympathy towards them for this. Um, but anyway, yeah. again, to speak about it in a more cold hearted way, the tough part for the Yankees is that they don't have a lead in the division and they don't even have a lead in the division 
in the spot in the division that they're in. It's not like they're a comfortable third, you know, where they could not have to worry about the team that's behind them at fourth. No, mm-hmm. like you can't just coast to 500 ball while you wait to get your good players back and then figure it out from there. Basically what the White Sox have been doing as of late, uh, not that they're waiting to get new players back, but they've kind of just been coasting a little bit more recently, not really turning the screws and, and racking up wins in the division. You can't do that if you're the Yankees because you're five and a half games back and the team that's behind you is not far behind. The team that's behind you is only one and a half games behind you. Mm-hmm. This is a time to keep your foot on the on the gas, which you ain't going to be able to do without your best players, without massively overperforming. And uh, while teams can overperform, no team should want to have to bank on needing to overperform. Right. That is not a recipe recipe for uh, long-lasting success or guaranteed success in any capacity. No. Yeah. So, man, we'll fucking see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see for me what happens between the Yankees and the Red Sox. I'm much less interested in the Rays at this point because them being good, I don't think is a shock. What? Nothing. I just agree with you. It's like, yeah, the Rays are who we know they are. Right. I think it's weird that they weren't leading this division the whole time. If we're being honest here. Agreed. Uh, You could make a Homer argument that the Yankees, if they played up to their potential, should have been leading the division the whole time. But uh, I mean, that's a silly argument. The Yankees didn't make the world series last year and the Rays did. They're very good. So anyway, um, the Red Sox, I think are probably currently underperforming and the Yankees are still overperforming given some of their injuries and who they have pitching for them. Not to say that any of their pitchers are bad, just that they're getting very, very good results out of a lot of people that I don't think will be able to like Clay Holmes absolutely can be a really good relief pitcher for them and just showing those Mm -hmm. signs. He has, I don't think allowed a walk yet. That's not going to hold for the season. It's probably not going to hold for like the week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens first. The Red Sox snapped their streak of underperformances lose leading to losses or the Yanks snapped their streak of overperforming, just helping them gain a lot of ground of the division. So this division might end up really coming down to August, depending on how these teams look heading into September, when the Red Sox are going to be whoever they are come out of the, coming out of this month, and the Yankees are going to be healthy. I'm having a coughing fit. All good, buddy. You will survive. But yeah, if the Red Sox can't right the ship before the Yankees get healthy, ooh, ooh, boy, they're fucked. They're fucked. So, I guess we'll, again, be stuck in wait and see land with that. Well, way. All right, well, let's take a look then 
at one of the other interesting conversations around the league. And that is the current status of the National League Cy Young. Because it is uh, a weird list of a weird list of guys at this point. So in the first half of the season, I think everyone, their mother, their uncle, their dog would have said Jacob deGrom is your National League Cy Young. There's no need in looking at who number two would be. He has like a 0.7 ERA. Why are we still looking at who else is on this list? It doesn't fucking matter. And uh, at that point in time, we all would have been right. It didn't matter. Jacob DeGrom probably isn't going to qualify for the ERA title because he won't have enough innings. That's the point we're at right now. I mean, Jacob DeGrom doesn't have 100 innings pitched yet. Obviously, he's, he's only eight shy. He can, he can get there if he comes back at some point within the next month. Uh, it's literally one start for Jacob DeGrom. But if you don't qualify for the ERA title because you don't have enough innings pitched, I think it would be pretty hard to accumulate MV or uh, Cy Young votes in that same season because you won't have pitched a lot. And so that really clears the way for a lot of interesting names in the Cy Young vote. Because if we look at the top five pitchers by war for the National League, it is Zach Wheeler at five and a half, Wade Miley at 5.4, Brandon Woodruff at five, Kevin Gaussman at 4.7, and Walker Bueller at 4.7. And Walker Bueller. Oh, no, no, never mind. I thought he was hurt this season, too, at some point. He has 141 innings pitch. He's doing just fine. Never mind. Um, that's an interesting-ass top five. That is a fucking interesting-ass top five. And so, Corwin, I guess I'm going to ask you this. Is Zach Wheeler kind of a lock for Cy Young? You might be muted, my friend. It's not muted. I just, my audio for Oh, no, buddy. I don't hear you again. Say anything. Um, you don't. His performance today was excellent. I mean, yeah, this comes on the back of a two hits. complete game. Yeah. Two hits uh, in a complete game shutout with, a, what was it, 11 strikeouts? Yes. Um, excellent performance. <sighs> I just think there's so much variability and because of all the injuries and because everything that's going on, I think name value is going to play a big part in this. I think we're going to see that become something that really drives home the final votes just because when you don't have someone who's dominating the way Jacob deGrom was, the way you know guys have in the past, it's going to come down to guys players recognize and guys players watch and Zach Wheeler just doesn't scream that for me. Yeah, obviously uh, the demographic of people who vote in Cy Young has slowly been changing over the years and people's willingness to look at a wider variety of statistics has changed over the years, but let's keep it superficial and let's look at the some back of the baseball card stats here. And when we do that, 
let's start. So let's go by war. So that's starting with Zach Wheeler, who has the most. He currently leads all of baseball in innings pitched and batters faced, which those two things go together pretty well. Uh, and also currently leads the National League in strikeouts. So th- those are, I'll say, two things that are pretty well considered to be important, I would say. Right. So I think he's definitely got those things working in his favor. Uh, he also boasts currently a 2.57 ERA, which is very good. He has his record is nine and six, which again, how much does that type of thing matter? Tough to say these next couple months, it might matter a lot because the Phillies are on the cusp of a playoff berth. Uh, they're currently, they are actually currently leading the division though. That is going to be very much so in flux over the next month and a half. So as unimportant as the general win loss record, the situational win-loss record over the next couple months might end up mattering in terms of swaying opinion of Zach Wheeler. But as it stands right now, he's got those two things going for him, which is nice. So if we go over then to Wade Miley, our second highest war getter, don't you boo this man. He is dramatically helping my fantasy baseball team. As someone dropped him and I claimed him off of waivers, whoever did that, you suck but I'm very happy because of your mistakes. Um, Wade Miley, while having the second most pitching war in the National League, leads the National League in absolutely fucking nothing. He is not a leader in a single pitching category. Uh, No hitters. Uh, He doesn't even lead in complete game shutouts. But he leads in no hitters. He is tied for the lead. Six other people. Uh, he has a nine and four record, which is good. Sure. Who cares? Uh, a two, seven, five ERA, which is very nice. He has a completing shutout. The no hitter Corwin mentioned, uh, he has pitched 121 innings, which is plenty. It's, it's a whole bunch of them. He has 93 strikeouts, which isn't surprising. Uh, lefty pitchers don't usually rack up the strikeouts to such a high degree. Um, uh, yeah, he's got a three five six FIP. He's got a one twenty a twelve twenty three WHIP. Uh, he's he hasn't been exceptional in any one specific category because he's he just hasn't been. It's not who he is. He's not a strikeout pitcher. He's he he, he just he just isn't. Um, and but he's been phenomenal in everything. He's been a ground ball machine. Forty nine point nine percent of his batted balls have been ground balls 18.9% have been fly balls um, 24% have been line drives he has a 34.1% hard hit rate and that's that's it average exit velocity off the bat 84.3 miles per hour that is below his uh, career average by a lot um, by like three miles an hour and so he, he's just He's, he's, he's pitching well, but he's not accumulating any type of meaningful stats. So it might be hard for him to win in that respect, especially Cincinnati doesn't have the uh, gravitas, I guess. Gravitas. But they have Skyline Ch- Chile. And that's a mistake. That's a detractor. Oh Never want to bring yeah. more attention to Skyline Chile. Uh, all right. So that brings us into our third highest Cy, uh, National League pitching war getter uh brandon woodruff who has been you know one of the aces of a team that seemingly has nothing but good pitching coming out their ass 
And he also does not really lead MLB or the National League in anything too important to back of the baseball cardish. He does lead all of baseball in whip at 0.888, which is stupid. Um, my God, that's a dumb fucking whip. But that's only whip, and then there's nothing else that goes along with it. He's got 160 strikeouts, which is a buttload. Um, and 137.1 innings pitched, which is also a buttload. A 7-6 record, which is present, but again, who gives a shit? Um, but without leading in any of like the major categories, although these are all very high numbers, it, it makes it also say kind of like, eh. Now, however, he is, again, an ace of a staff that is carrying their team. Ace of aces. He, Yeah, I mean, he really is. And, you know, if if when Milwaukee makes the playoffs, it is going to be because of their pitching. Um, but he won't be alone in that. I think the way that even honestly, Zach Wheeler kind of is when it comes to the pitching side of things in uh, Philadelphia, it might be tough to single him out in the same type of way, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Wow. Dude, Zach Wheeler is the only pitcher in the Phillies rotation with an under four ERA. That's fucking bad. What's Aaron Nola? 4.49. Jeez. Jesus. What a bad year for him. Yeah. Wow. Uh, actually, I guess now that Kyle Gibson's joined the staff, he also has a sub four ERA. But yeah, Man, I forgot that happened. Yeah, right? Uh, weird. All right, anyway, so then that brings us to Kevin Gaussman, our fourth highest war getter in the National League for pitchers, who also leads the National League in absolutely nothing. Um, but still also having a great year, 157 strikeouts, 2.31 ERA, 10-5 and five record, 132 innings pitched. So again, nothing back of the baseball card here. I do think Gaussman would might be more appealing of a player over a Woodruff because he is so clearly the best pitcher this season on the Giants and the Giants overperforming so much. I think Kevin Gaussman can be a little bit of the face of that in a weird way. Right. There's nobody there. You know, Anthony DiScofani is not stealing votes away from Kevin Gaussman. Right. And, you know, they have a bunch of guys who are playing very well. You know, Johnny Cueto, Logan Webb, uh, Aaron Sanchez, all sub-four ERA guys this season. Alex Woodward on the cusp of that. Um, but I think Gaussman has really been, like, the face of a massively overperforming team. But it's, it's still good. Like, not trying to, like, take away from it. But, like, holy fuck, look at this season. You know what I mean? Do you think the reputation of the Giants this year of being massive overperformers is going to hinder his campaign because it won't be as viewed as it won't be viewed as legitimate as it would be otherwise? No, because this, this is this is not a career award. You know what I mean? This is a single season award. This is a this year. This is a 2021 accomplishment award. And we oftentimes see players either chosen or passed over because of their career achievements Uh, for the positive case of this. It's Mike Trout, who is always good. And so oftentimes 
he is quite literally a better hitter by every metric um, or every advanced metric in the seasons in which he does not win the MVP as compared to the years in which he does win the MVP. Like, I think he has a higher war or at least I know he has a higher WRC plus in the years he hasn't won the MVP than the years he has won the MVP, but he does can't win the MVP every year because I think voters just get tired of voting for him, which you can't blame him, I guess. Um, And so I don't think someone's chronically mediocre career or good, not great career should hold them back from winning an award either because it's about this season. Yeah. Fuck over. Who gives a fuck about overperforming? Let him overperform. I don't, but I just need it to be contradictory. And that brings us to our number five National League war getter, which is Walker Bueller, who currently leads all of baseball and win loss percent. Uh, He's been 11 and two so far this season. And leads the National League in ERA at 2.16. He's also amassed 144 strikeouts uh, and 141.2 innings pitched. So he's also having himself a damn fine season. Um, but And is on a marquee team. And is on a team that is absolutely going to the playoffs. Is on a team that could very likely win the World Series again. I, all right, enough of you. And, you know, is the ace of the staff at this point, probably, especially with Clayton Kershaw just hitting the IL recently. So I think there's a lot of the other factors there that factor in well for Walker Bueller, even though he only leads in, I guess, one category that matters. But at the same time, you know, he's he's got an, he's got the name. He's got the right uniform. I mean, it means yeah, means a lot. Very true. Yeah. Again, I think it's going to come back to the possibility of, you know, the Brandon Woodruff argument where I think he's going to be helped by the fact that he wears Dodgers blue. I do think he's going to be hurt by the fact that he's in a rotation with formerly Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, now Max Scherzer all of these guys there that are all excellent pitchers all perform. He's got a, you know, he's got guys there that can steal votes. Unfortunately, you know, do you think Trevor Bauer is going to steal any votes? No, absolutely yeah, I don't not. Think so either. He's not, I, he really shouldn't even be eligible to receive votes for one, he be? because he's a horrible person. And for two, because I'm not sure he's going to have the innings. But also because he's a horrible person and MLB shouldn't allow him to be on the ballot. But so um, I know the NFL has, you know, the commissioner's list where um, guys who fall under what, you know, Trevor Bauer fell under get placed on. So it's not just a, hey, you really fucked up. So we're going to put you on this list to make sure you we're not fucking the team over for, for how bad you fucked up. Does MLB have something like that? Is that something Bowers on, or is it purely just a leave of absence? Uh, I I thought it was a commissioner's list type situation, but honestly, I don't really know. I wouldn't think that someone on the commissioner's list would be able to receive votes for an award. 
And if they can, that should be changed. Well, and I would imagine that it would be in MLB's best interest not to put him on because it's like saying, like, how can you say this guy did something so fucked up that we we're not going to let him play baseball, but not so fucked up that he can't win an award for the baseball he did play. It's like OJ winning MVP in 1996 if he was still playing. It's like, uh, there are some reasons we shouldn't give him this award. His name yeah. should not be put on the list of winners. Yeah, the list of eligible winners. It doesn't. It just doesn't, wouldn't make any sense. So uh, I would imagine he, he he's not. Well, I just just to loop back to where the started though with Zach Wheeler because the 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 thing that I think he has going for him that the other players on this list don't is that his team is in the most contentious position to make the playoffs or win their division of any of these other teams. Cause you look at Cincinnati and their likelihood of winning the division is not good. It's present. I guess there are only six games back. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, but I think the Brewers have shown themselves to be the better team over the long haul. But again, we shall see as for Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers, the same thing, but backwards. Uh, Gaussman and Bueller have obviously been, you know, the NL West has been a bloodbath recently, but it's because the whole teams have been good. And there's not necessarily been one part of the teams that have dragged the rest up with them. Oh, you could make an argument that the Padres have been dragged by their hitting, um, because their pitching has fucked them a bit, but that base, I think, would probably be the only one. It's it's been rather complete teams fighting against rather complete teams. With Zach Wheeler on the Phillies, I mean, Zach, you can make an argument that Zach Wheeler has done a lot of work by himself to make sure the Phillies are still a competitive team in the NL East in a way that I'm not sure you could the others. And while those types of arguments I don't think mean very much in an analytical sense. The awards are not just about analytics. I'm not saying that for good or for bad. I'm not making a judgment on that. I'm Mm -hmm. making an observation about that. There is storylines involved in awards voting that whether we like them being there or not, doesn't matter they're there. And I think that combined with the fact that Zach Wheeler is having a very good year, for anybody, but especially a great year for Zach Wheeler. Uh, plus with the fact that he could have a chance of being like the face of this Phillies run, I would think puts him kind of fascinatingly positioned to win National League Cy Young, which boy, howdy, is that not the guy you I think any of us would have thought of going into the season. Oh, completely. Like even, even tertiarily. I don't think any of us would have picked because, you know, like Aaron like Nola a- bounce back season. Yeah. Okay. I could see it. Totally. Clayton Kershaw bounce back season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Freddie Peralta breakout year. Totally. Zach Wheeler. No. Uh, what happened there? And this is what's happening. Like it's, it's weird. Like if this was the Olympics where you get a gold, silver or bronze medal, 
nobody would ever have expected Wheeler to even be on the podium, let alone be chasing gold. Yeah, right. I mean, it sucks that it kind of comes at Jacob deGrom's expense because he obviously will not play enough to really put himself, I think, in the running for this. But still, I mean, it's, it is cool to see some less than usual names here. It's kind of crazy to have a season where Jacob deGrom is pitching otherworldly even for Jacob deGrom, let alone otherworldly for all of baseball. And to have a field where there isn't any other strong contenders. And this is the year Jacob deGrom's just kind of falling apart with injuries and just may miss the rest of the season with all of these lagging strains and, and muscle tightness and everything involved there. And for him not to win at all. Yeah. Like you could put this season up against any other individual season he's gone up against in a Cy Young race and he's the favorite. And in a season where nobody really would stack up to even his worst season, here he is not being able to perform and not be able to hit that innings limit or floor. Yeah. Yeah, you know, baseball humbles you. It humbles your ability to predict like that. Um, oh, in the worst way, always in the worst way. I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close out talking a little bit about, uh, well, the Mets, because, man, is it scary hours if you're a Mets fan. I, I feel for you. Ah, fuck yourselves. I don't really care. The Mets have gone on a tear of being bad. It's it's sad. Um, since since July fifteenth, which is the date we're using, they also break for the Mets case. It's actually July sixteenth. Uh, their win loss record goes as follows: uh, loss, loss, win, win. That's even. Loss, win, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, loss, win. Oh, and then here comes August. Ready? Loss, 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 win, loss, loss, loss. Oh, man. Oh, and if you're wondering how they did today, hey, Corwin, how did uh, how the message against the do, do, do today against the Phillies? Uh, tie. Well, that's fortunate. Oh, wait, no. Oh, sorry, Corwin. I just checked our math here. Uh, no, they lost. Damn, those bastards. Yeah, they lost the uh, three to nothing in a complete game shutout, which means that that's their fourth straight loss. And in their last eight games, they have gone one and seven. That's just are so depressingly bad. In like, their last like eleven games, hold on. In their last eleven games. They've gone two and nine. Why can't they just be like ordinarily bad? Like, why can't they just be like, I don't know, like Cleveland Indians bad? The team they've. Why do they have to be so just painstakingly, just aggressively bad? Especially 
when they have so much like if you're bad and you're just kind of like eh, we're never able to really piece it together and whenever we improve there's other things that just kind of fall off and there's no year-to-year improvement sure they are just aggressively bad in a way that truly demoralizes anyone who ever could even consider themselves a fan and you know you might be saying to yourselves out there well, at least the Mets got the tough part of the schedule over with. Corbin, would you like to hear their upcoming games? Uh, no, but I feel like you're going to tell me anyway. I am, I am. So starting on Tuesday, they were three games set at home against the Nationals. Okay, that's not bad. Nationals tore down. There's not a lot there. They could probably handle that. After that, three games at home against the Dodgers. After that, three games in San Francisco against the Giants. After that, Three games, four games in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. After that, three games at home against the Giants. That's special with how poorly they're going to perform. Yes, that is uh, 13 games straight against playoff caliber teams. Two of the best teams in baseball. And uh, the Mets couldn't beat the Phillies. So they are going to get their shit pushed in and it's a special type of pain because the Mets had this division man they had this division every team was mediocre the Braves were not over 500 literally all season they just broke over 500 the other day the Phillies were under 500 for the vast majority of the season the Nationals sold at the deadline and it was very obvious that that's what they should be doing. Uh, and the Marlins never put it together this year. And the Mets were, were like almost 10 games over 500. But they were like seven, eight games over 500. And, and not that they could have coasted. You can never coast when you have that little of a lead, but they could have pulled away. They could have put it in their fucking pocket and just fucking kept it moving to the playoffs and deal with whatever they had to deal with when it came time to face good teams like the Giants and the Dodgers or the Padres or the Brewers or whatever. And instead they fucking collapsed. Jacob deGrom isn't there. He's not carrying them. Taiwan Walker is turning back into a pumpkin. And their stable of guys they keep bringing up that look like they could be really good are, are, are doing well. And now the bullpen's trying to fuck them. You know, like Taylor McGill has come up and been like, cool, man, but uh, he's not going to solve all your problems. Taylor McGill sounds like the kind of player that comes in and gives up a 6.5 ERA. Sorry, he it's Tyler McGill, and he currently has a 3.2 ERA. My opinion does not change. It's... um. Uh, oh, hey, man, they brought in Rich Hill, who has a 4.2 ERA in three games for them. Carlos Carrasco is back. He's pitched uh, in two games so far. Jury's still out on that. It's uh, it's tough when uh, when Edwin Diaz has an over four ERA. Juris Familia has an over four ERA. And seemingly half your team is some combination of hurt and sucks ass. And... It's that that has kind of been their problem since the All-Star break because as a team batting, the Mets are top 10, baby. 107 WRC plus since the All-Star break. 
that puts them on par with the Dodgers. And yes, the Dodgers have had issues. Cody Ballinger has come back and been sucking ass. But still, it's still the Dodgers. They still have the ability to hit, and they show it off almost nightly. The other side of it, though, the Mets pitching, again, I'm just sorting here by XFIP, is 21st in ball since the All-Star break with a 4.44 XFIP. The only teams worse than them is a very, very sad list of teams. Ready to hear this, Corbin? Uh, yes. Starting at 22, just below the Mets and going down to the worst team, uh, is the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Washington Nationals, the Detroit Tigers, the Cleveland baseball team, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Miami Marlins, the Texas Rangers, and the Baltimore Orioles. Teams you do not want to be associated with if you are trying to make a playoff push. Which also means that since the All-Star break, every team in the Mets division, barring the Nationals, which are a non-factor for the year, have pitched better than them. That is not fucking good. Uh. Yeah, to put it mildly, you are correct. That is not good. And the craziest part about it is for the Mets is that the Phillies aren't even doing super great on the the pitching side of it, and they don't need to because you suck harder. Right now, the Phillies are 17th since the All-Star break and exit at 439. I know I'm being lazy. I'm allowed to be lazy. I'm a lazy guy. I didn't play any talking points ahead of time. We figured this shit out on the fly here. The Phillies are also the seventh best batting team since the All-Star break at the 110 WRC Plus tied with the Houston Astros. So they've been batting like the Astros and pitching better than fucking you. And guess what? You ain't going to win ballgames. You ain't, you ain't going to hold your spot in the division when that type of shit goes down. And man, man. Man, this shit's fucking ugly if you're if you're a Mets fan. Uh, what is that? And I don't know what the recourse is at this point. Like, what do you trade, what do you do? Trade Francisco Lindor to a guy to or to another team to gather some trade. prospects. Trade trade deadlines past. Oh yeah. Eh, shame. What do you do? Burn, uh, burn City Field to the ground. Uh, you go up point, to Taiwan Walker and you say, hey, pitch pitch more better? Do you go to, to Jacob DeGrom and be, hey, like, be less hurt? Do you go up to Rich Hill and say, be younger? Buy more booze. You go up to Pete Alonso and say, swing harder? What, what do you I do? Don't, I don't know why you're not an MLB, you know, bench coach. You've got it all figured out. Swing more harder. And, you know, it, it's a shame. Because they're getting a wonderful season out of Marcus Stroman. And it doesn't matter. Because he's asked, he's being asked to be their ace. And he could totally be an ace of a staff. But this staff is not built around Marcus Stroman being the ace. Marcus Stroman is being forced to be the ace. Because David DeGrom is hurt. And Taiwan Walker is imploding. David Peterson's hurt. Joey Lucchese's hurt. So now you got Tyler McGill. And Marcus Stroman. And Taiwan Walker and Rich Hill, and Carlos Carrasco. And boy, that is a wonky-ass starting rotation. Yeah, if Cookie was, you know, pre-leukemia Cookie, he can be an ace of your staff. 
you can have a 1A, 1B situation with Strowman and Carrasco, sure. Uh, he's not the same player right now. And Strowman can't do it himself. You're right. You just don't have a full you don't have a full rotation right now. You know, you could have one starter be failing, like Taiwan Walker is. That's happens over the course of a season. You can't be down your superstar ace. You can't be down your number three guy who's imploding. You can't have your number four be wildly underperforming based off of what you traded for him and, and what you're paying him. And you can't have guys like Jake McGill, Tyler McGill, whatever his name is, come in and have to be a number three for you because he has no right to be put in that position. I love the disrespect of Jake McGill. It sounds like it's not his name, which is what's so funny about it. Exactly. Yeah, but you're, yeah, he's, 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 he's 25, Tyler McGill, Jake, Tyler, Jake McGill. And this is his first year pitching any games in the majors. This is his call-up assignment. His call-up assignment is save our fucking season. And every, every team has to do it a little bit. The Yankees are doing it right now with Luis Heal. Like, it, it, it happens, man. But, uh, man, the, the, the Mets situation is more so we had it and we lost it, i.e. Gretzky for the St. Louis Blues. That's right. St. Louis, feel bad about yourselves. Go fuck yourselves. Um, unless so, we're, we're, we're going to try to climb our way up to the top. And, hey, if we can't get to the top, well, injuries fuck this. It's, it, it's a little bit different of the pressure. And also, like to point out, why did you trade for Javi Baez? That was confusing when it happened because Javi Baez is not a great hitter. Uh, and in his tenure with the Mets so far, he has an OPS plus of 66. Javi Baez is a career 104 OPS hitter. Sorry, 102, 102 OPS hitter. Why not get Trevor Story? Career 113 OPS hitter. Historically much better. Had a high asking price from Colorado. And guess what, Mets? Fucking pay it, you dumb bitches. You have nothing. Or you could pay a low price for Javi Baez and pretend to look like you're trying hard, but even though you're in a position where you can do so, you acknowledge the fact that Jacob DeGrom is hurt and is not going to come back and be able to carry your team to the playoffs and you're punting the season because you're the Mets. Oh, the Mets. I have no idea what they're going to have to do. There, there, there's only so many moves that a team can make post-trade deadline to try to figure some out, something out. And if the Mets don't find a way to make their rotation suck less hard. Ooh, boy. Oof. This, uh, this next two weeks is either going to make or break the Mets season. If they go 500 in the next two weeks, hey, they got a shot. They really do. They really, if they go 500, they have a shot of hanging in on the division race. They really genuinely do. They Which shouldn't be that far statement. back. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they're currently in, actually, uh, did the Braves win today? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, the Braves. Yes. So they're currently in uh, third place in their division behind the Braves. But if they go 500 in the next two weeks, they, they, they'll they probably, they'll still be in third. That's for sure. They ain't losing ground. 
And unless the Phillies and the Braves each go on really, really big runs, they shouldn't be crazy far out of it that they could make it back up in September. But if they get rocked in the next two weeks against the Giants for six games and the Dodgers for seven, uh, then their season is probably in the dust. Oh, and you're the two and nine in your last eleven games. So, oh, yeah, pick, pick, pick your fucking shit. They need to trounce. They need to sweep the Nationals just to give themselves a buffer to get fucked by the Giants and Dodgers. Yeah. Well. Good luck with that, guys. Oh, all right, man. I say we wrap it up here. How are you feeling? Oh, great. Cool. All right. All right. Well, that'll be it for this week. Make sure you tune in on Thursday when we're going to have Shakia Taylor on talk about a whole bunch of shit. You got to listen to find out what we're talking about. Yeah. Check it out. It'll be really good. We're very excited to to have her on. Uh, She's super smart. Very excited to talk some Chicago baseball stuff, um, including present day Chicago baseball stuff and former day Chicago baseball stuff. Uh, So, Again, that'll be Thursday's episode. Stay tuned, folks. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juice and Pod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one.